This is Law for Community Workers on the Go, a podcast for community and health workers. My name is Jessica Sullivan and I work in the Community Legal Education Branch at Legal Aid New South Wales. Today's episode is about the important role of support workers in the criminal justice system. Criminal lawyers work to get the best outcome they can for their clients and their criminal matters. Many of these clients also have support workers who are working hard to improve their clients' situations and lives. There is much to be gained from an alliance between community workers and lawyers, each bringing different skills and approaches to problem-solving a client's criminal matters and more. Building understanding and collaboration can have great outcomes for clients. Before we begin, we would like to acknowledge that we are recording this podcast on Aboriginal land and pay our respects to Elders past and present and extend that respect to any Indigenous people who may be listening today. Hi everyone, my name is Kerry Wright and I also work in the Community Legal Education Branch at Legal Aid New South Wales. This episode has four interviews that I did in late 2019. The first is with Matt, a crime lawyer at Legal Aid New South Wales NOWR office. Then Liz, a support worker with Rosa Coordinated Care, or ROC, also based in NOWR. The ROC team support women returning to the Shoalhaven after being in prison or rehab and who sometimes have ongoing criminal matters. Then Jamie, a social worker at Legal Aid New South Wales, helping young people with a broad range of legal problems, including having to go to court. And finally, Corinna, a trainer and support worker with the Justice Advocacy Service, helping people with cognitive impairment navigate the New South Wales justice system. I hope you find the tips shared by these workers helpful for when you may also have a client that has contact with the police or a matter in court. Okay, so I'm here today with Matt Kwan. So Matt is a senior criminal lawyer with Legal Aid New South Wales. Matt works in our NARA Legal Aid office. So uh, welcome, Matt. Thank you. So Matt, do you want to tell us a little bit about your role here at Legal Aid New South Wales? Okay, so my primary role is essentially representing people charged with criminal offences. And at Legal Aid, we will focus on the most disadvantaged clients in our community. Many of them will present with uh, disabilities, other mental health concerns, uh, issues in relation to homelessness. Perhaps they're also victims of criminal offences themselves, either in the past or uh, ongoing. Uh, So we are really talking about the more marginalised people um, in our community. And we often refer people on to community workers or youth workers or other services in the community. Community workers can assist in a number of different ways. Um, In the initial stages, for instance, if someone's just been charged and they want to make a a bail application, um, often a criminal lawyer will liaise with a community worker to ensure that when they're out in the community, there are some supports available to ensure that the court can be satisfied that they won't be uh, a threat to the community, so to speak, and also that any concerns in relation to mental health, uh, other sorts of treatment, alcohol, other drug treatment can be completed. Moving on in terms of, let's say, sentencing, uh, we're often concerned about why the offence happened, what steps 
can the client take to prevent further offending? So we're talking about addressing uh, what lawyers call criminogenic factors, what causes their crime. So this could involve uh, things like substance abuse. If someone suffers from a substance abuse disorder, um, we want to see what drug and alcohol rehabilitation they may have taken. If they've worked with a residential rehabilitation facility, um, we'd often ask for the input of that facility uh, as to how well they completed their rehabilitation program, what specific strategies uh, were they taught, were they successful in learning about those strategies, and sometimes they're so successful that they even end up working in the rehabilitation facility, so we can also uh, focus on that. Uh, for others, uh, they have quite substantial mental health concerns, and so we'd also be looking at um, treatment providers, what sort of treatment have they been undertaking, and an opinion of that treatment provider as to what treatment is necessary. The strategies that most lawyers will develop is what are the things that cause the person, the client, to commit crimes, and how can we say that they won't be committing crimes in the future. Part of that is what they're doing with those community workers. Let's say that a client has had some rampant and long-standing drug addiction issues. However, they've attended a rehabilitation facility um, of a residential nature and they've continued without patient counselling with an external agency. We would then gather the material from the rehabilitation facility, which would include the strategies that they developed um, inside that rehab place. We're trying to present your client to the court in its entirety. However, the legal aspects only form part of that. There are only so many legal arguments that we can use, and that's why we rely on community-based workers uh, with experience and qualifications in social work, psychology, um, medical treatment. Support letters are the primary form of information gathering, uh, and that is the way that we would generally present uh, matters in court. Then we can boil that down to three things. Firstly, the court's going to be interested to know what the expertise of that worker is. Uh, is it experience in treating people with drug addiction? Is it working with people with intellectual or cognitive disabilities? Second thing is, what sort of things have the clients been working on with that particular worker? What sort of programs are they engaging in? What sort of skills are they developing? And then the third thing is the opinion of that particular worker as to the client's progress. Are they towards the beginning of the rehabilitation stage? Are they towards the end? What sort of confidence does that worker have? Now people slip up. Um, the court is not gonna take very kindly to that. Uh, however, if they are otherwise going very well and they may have committed a less serious crime whilst on parole or whilst on some other form of conditional liberty. We can explain that to the court. We can say, look, they're still doing very well. Uh, not as well as we hoped, but here are some skills. Here's why this person um, can still be expected uh, to be continuing on a pathway towards a crime-free lifestyle in the future. A more a relatively recent example was uh, a client that I had who 
uh, was an NDIS client as well, and I worked quite um, heavily with her NDIS uh, support worker. Uh, this was someone with quite serious mental health difficulties that prevented her from seeking further mental health treatment. Um, she suffered from some very severe anxiety, amongst other problems. Eventually, she ended up in custody, and as a result of that, um, and the crimes that she committed, she would have ended up homeless when released to the community. Um, so what I undertook was a more interdisciplinary approach um, with uh, the NDIS worker to ensure that uh, appropriate supports could be available uh, on the outside once she was inevitably released. Uh, referrals were made to housing providers and I also was able to use um, some of the contacts of the NDIS support worker. And so that's an example of what I would call an interdisciplinary approach where I was able to gather together um, multiple sources of support for the one client um, across a range of agencies. It ended up with a, a non-custodial um, sentence um, and she was uh, able to be linked up with a relative and then uh, later into some form of supported accommodation. Um, and last I heard, she appeared to be relatively stable in terms of her treatment. I think the primary thing uh, I would say is lawyers are experts in law, but we're not often experts in other areas. And we have to call upon your expertise um, in order to best uh, represent our clients. And so when you're writing support letters, or when you're giving evidence in court, um, let the court know what the expertise and skills you have. It's important when you're considering the opinions um, that you're offering to the court. That opinion is backed by your skills, your experience, your knowledge in the area that you're working in. The court is going to value that opinion. So don't be afraid of giving that opinion. about ROC and who you help? Okay, so ROC's a service that provides case management, intensive case management for women who have been incarcerated or are at risk of incarceration or in the criminal justice system and also for women that have been to rehab and are experiencing difficulties either going in there or just leaving. We get um, referrals from prison we get referrals from community corrections. They're probably the people that mostly refer to us because at that point, uh, the women that we're working with have recently been released, might be on parole. Um, we get referrals from legal aid, occasionally from solicitors, um, and clients self-refer as well. As part of my role as a caseworker, part of what works really well for ROC is that we're not time limited with the clients. So some clients, I've, have been my clients for three years so in that time it's allowed us to see a lot of change with the clients but not necessarily they haven't had to tell their story over and over again. A lot of our clients um, have been incarcerated and are at risk of incarceration for driving offences. Other things are maybe minor assault, um, DV retaliation, um, things like that. And when they come to you, if they've had their crime matter dealt with, do you find they've got other legal problems? Yeah, uh, absolutely. Probably a myriad of legal problems. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
Uh, a lot of civil problems as well. So a lot of the women that we work with have had their children removed by fax. So there's a lot of um, negotiation and trying to look at legally where they stand in order to actually see their children, um, even in the first place without even thinking about them actually getting their children back. Um, that's one thing. Uh, housing is another. They could have um, housing debts. Um, most of our clients have got debts from fines. What type of support do you give to the women if they do have crime matters in court? So um, what we'll do, for example, if we have a woman that has just been uh, arrested for maybe drug possession or... No, generally it's come to us. Um, or they might be referred from a solicitor, then we'll sit down with them, work out. With a lot of clients, they can't, under they can't understand what's happening at all. So even just reading through some, the actual information allows them to maybe understand it a little bit better. Um, for people, it's their first time in court, explaining the legal process a little bit more and who's who in court. Although most clients that we work with are quite familiar with, with the court process. They will contact the solicitor, ask the solicitor if there's any, any way we can help them. Um, we'll always provide a support letter and then we'll actually provide transport. Sometimes we'll provide brokerage around um, our clients being able to dress appropriately for court and then we'll accompany them to court. Depending, so if it's a client who has mental health issues, sometimes the, the magistrate will ask us to sit with them in the dock and we just stay there for the day and support them and you know make sure that we can advocate for them while they're there. Um, depending on what's happened with the matter, if they have been incarcerated, then we'll visit them while they're incarcerated. And if they're not incarcerated, if they've got an intensive corrections order and they're mandated to go to parole and report, we'll help with transport. We'll sometimes sit in with them at parole if they request that. It's, it's, it's entirely up to the client. So we are learning to be really flexible with the clients. And I suppose if we're always basing everything on the client and the clients at the centre of everything, then it's just a natural progression that we will work holistically. And is there anyone who comes to mind that you've worked with in the criminal justice system where you feel you've made a difference to the court outcome? I can think of uh, a few women who have been um, involved in the justice system for 20, 30 years and will regularly present at some time within, within a year um, back to prison for a minor could be a larceny, driving offences. So there are a few women that, um, as a service, we've worked with and we've, they've managed not to be, they have offended in that time, but I think with our support, especially at court and letters of support to show that the client's trying to do something about their situation, there's two clients in particular that for the first time in maybe 20 years, they haven't been incarcerated again in for the past two years okay and that's really something to be celebrated because they are amazing women so what are some tips for other community workers who are helping women or their clients with matters in court what would you say three uh, hot tips maybe <laughs> I'd say um, having having a good rapport with their solicitor and contacting their solicitor is a is a really good thing. 
really sit down with the client and discuss their matter and make sure they understand what's going to happen. And the other tip would be definitely to write a support letter. You, you need to give the, the magistrate an outline of what, who that client is. They don't know the client, they just know what the client's done. If you can give an outline of who they are, their past, if that's okay with the client, and, and the little goals that you have achieved along the way, those things are really important to put into a support letter. I'm here with Jamie Alford, who works as a social worker in one of the Legal Aid New South Wales specialist teams, helping young people with their civil law problems. So Jamie, can you tell us a bit about your role and how you actually assist the lawyers? I work in a multidisciplinary team uh, with lawyers, with a, um, an Aboriginal caseworker and, and with myself as a social worker. And we work with young people who have really complex needs, uh, young people who have criminal law issues, who have been to court because they've been charged with something and a whole range of kind of welfare needs in their life. Maybe they've got background with mental health issues, Many, many times they've been in care, often they've experienced homelessness, uh, disabilities, drug and alcohol issues, um, a whole range of things which make them really vulnerable um, in, the, in the legal system. Civil law issues we define very broadly um, and it, it's really everyday legal issues that happen in a young person's life that usually don't involve um, being charged um, or family law matters. And, and I guess the sorts of things we're talking about is young people's access to their rights, to their basic entitlements, um, to what they need in life, um, and also areas particularly around finances, around housing, around access to Centrelink benefits, around things like fines or contracts, or um, things where they've, they've got themselves into debt or some kind of problem, um, which uh, a lawyer and a social worker working together can help them to sort out. In my team, young people are referred by criminal lawyers, um, and, but the criminal lawyers identify that there's all this other stuff that's going on in a young person's life and they need help. So I work really closely with the lawyers um, and my role is to address, I guess, what we say is the barriers to the legal issues. So sometimes that might be about engagement. It might be about that the young person doesn't understand what the role of a lawyer is or the young person doesn't trust um, adults and people in authority because of their experiences of being in the care system or their negative experiences with police. And often part of my role is, is about bringing out a young person's strengths and bringing out their hopes and their ambitions and helping them to kind of create a, a sense of having a meaningful life, a sense of feeling safe, a sense of having purpose in their life. And sometimes in the legal system we have this dichotomy where um, the legal system is pointing out all of a young person's problems, all their diagnoses, all their weaknesses, everything that's wrong in their life. And sometimes we take this kind of medical and legal approach of, well, what we need to do here, we, we need a mechanic that's going to fix all the problems in their life. So, we, you know, we need a, a drug and alcohol intervention to stop their drug use. And we need a, a, a correctional intervention to stop their offending behaviour. But unless we can actually empower the young person um, to build a sense of identity of who they are, of where they fit in the world, of what they want to achieve in life, often we're just going to be going around in a cycle. Uh, the goal is that we're preventing future legal problems happening. The legal system can be a really blunt instrument at times. Um, it, it can be an instrument that's, that's very blunt in terms of power and control over young people's lives. And it tends to be a one size fits all approach to addressing um, problems that the court 
or, or the legal system um, is seeing that it's occurring. And, and what we want to do by working with the young person and by educating the lawyer about the individual um, complexities of a young person's life is, is try to tailor the intervention to an individual young person's needs. The legal system can create a lot of anxiety in a young person's life. It can um, trigger mental health problems that may already be existing but can cause further deterioration in their mental health. Um, often interactions with police and other agencies can be um, quite detrimental to a young person. So what we want to do is um, educate lawyers about the way that they communicate with the young person, the way that they interact with the young person, and to advocate for the young person within legal systems to create options and opportunities which are tailored to that young person's needs and are going to help that young person to get where they need to go and to ideally have a legal intervention that, that facilitates that. So many, many moons ago when I was a brand new youth worker, I was working as a, as a um, post release and a straight outreach worker in, in the inner west of Sydney. Um, and uh, I'd, I'd meet young people um, on the street or in public places and chat with them about what was going on in their life. And I remember, in, in, certainly within the first year of doing that, I met a young person who told me he had some court matters and, and wanted me to come to court with him. Um, and I didn't really know much about court at that stage. That um, whole experience was probably fairly anxiety provoking in, in me, being unsure about how I could potentially work with a lawyer. So I, I just turned up to court with this young person um, and we put the young person's name on the list to see a lawyer and we went down and we sat and chatted with, with a lawyer. Um, and and as, I, as this happened time and time again and as I got to know lawyers and got to know um, specialist legal services like Shopfront Youth Legal Centre, I got to see that there is a real synergy between what youth workers do and what lawyers do. The um, passion that lawyers have for young people, for, to, for advocating for their rights, for um, yeah, for representing them to get the best outcome for the young person is, is very similar to the sort of passion that youth workers have to advocate for young people and, and do what's in their, in their best interest. As I worked in the court system more and more, I, I started writing more support letters. There were times when magistrates would refer to things that I had written in a support letter that helped the magistrate to make a decision about what was most appropriate for this young person. Over the years I've chatted with many youth workers, um, sometimes a youth worker, sometimes youth workers express um, that a bit of a fear of um, coming to court, sometimes they express a fear that by writing a support letter that they're getting a young person off their charges and, and preventing a young person taking responsibility for, for their behaviour. Um, and sometimes there's a hesitancy to present material to the court for that reason. And also, I guess, a, a fear of scrutiny of, of what is being written um, to the court. Um, and the position that I've kind of come to over the years is that I, I feel very strongly that it is actually a right of the young person to have the rich um, contextual information about their life presented before the court. That if I, as a youth worker, if I don't present um, that information about what is going on in a young person's life, about the trauma that they may have experienced, about the difficult relationships and difficult family circumstances that they might be in, then all the magistrate has to go on is a police fact sheet um, and a list of charges or a list of diagnoses that the young person's been given. It doesn't give 
the magistrate much opportunity to have empathy with the young person and with their, their life and their experiences. And it doesn't guide the magistrate very helpfully in to know what is the most appropriate way to deal with this young person in a way that's going to promote their opportunity to not come back before the court system and to deal with their issues of homelessness or whatever the things that are bringing them before the court system. How do you write a support letter? Like, where do you start? What do you talk about? With my support letters, I usually start by um, very generally introducing myself, uh, talking about what my role is. We're talking about how long I've known the young person, what my relationship with the young person is like. Um, and, and then I'll go into a little bit of um, detail about the, young, the background in the young person's circumstances, um, maybe some information about their family circumstances, their housing situation, what they're doing in terms of educational training, if at all. Um, and then I'll talk about the things that I observe about the young person, maybe about how they engage in support, um, maybe about um, what uh, some of their hopes and dreams and aspirations are, um, and then I'll usually um, outline the support that is available to them in the community. And then I'll usually um, finish my letter by just making it really clear what support I am able to offer a young person into the future and, and what that might look like. So I would, I would usually talk to the young person about um, the content of my letter and the things that I've said about them in, in the, the letter. Um, and I would usually give them the opportunity to, if, if they object to things that I might say or not say, um, and, and so that they're not going to walk into court and be blindsided by what I'm writing. And I would always give my letter to the, the lawyer, not directly to the, the court, so that the lawyer has the opportunity to have a look through the letter. Also, just sometimes I would send, send a draft letter um, to the lawyer that I'm working with in advance, just, just in case they have any feedback of extra things that they would like me to comment on. And I certainly um, value very strongly my professional independence and I'm not going to be told by a lawyer what to say or not to say, but at the same time, getting that legal perspective on the letter of things that might be helpful or unhelpful can be really valuable and help me to write a more useful and helpful letter for the court. It's definitely worth getting to know and being aware of the workers from the Children's Court Assistance Scheme, whose role it is there to be there to make sure that a young person is linked with a lawyer, to make sure that they feel comfortable and they understand what's going on, and also to make some of those referrals to support where a young person needs that. If uh, there's youth workers, workers with young people listening to this podcast episode, what would be your main message to them in terms of their role in helping young people with their court matters? My main message would be um, not to be uh, fearful or afraid of the court system or fearful or afraid of working with lawyers, that it can be a really positive and productive process and to understand that you have a really valuable role to play in, in supporting young people in their experience of the court system, helping to tailor the intervention of the court to instead of being a really blunt and harmful instrument to be a more supportive, understanding and flexible approach to helping that young person to move away from offending and to have an intervention that um, is hopefully going to be at least less harmful and more helpful. So I'm here now with Corinna Nolan from the Intellectual Disability Rights Service Justice Advocacy Service. Um, so Corinna, tell us about the Justice Advocacy Service and who you help. 
So the Justice Advocacy Service is um, is a court support, police support and legal support service. Um, it helps people with cognitive impairment when they come into contact with the criminal justice system. We provide support um, for people during this process if they have been arrested, if they're a victim of a crime or if they have witnessed a crime. So we arrange for our trained volunteers to attend court from start to finish or at a police station or at a legal appointment. So when a client is referred to us or a person makes a referral themselves, we'll organise for somebody to attend the court with them, help them through that process, make sure they're understanding everything that's happening, they're aware of their rights when they're at a police station, facilitating communication between uh, lawyers and clients and police and clients. So we're a statewide service and we currently have 17 offices now throughout the state. We're also a 24-hour service, so if somebody was arrested within that 24 hours, 2 in the morning, whatever it may be, we can provide a support person at a police station and we also have free legal uh, advice over the telephone for that person in custody as well. For example, if we had somebody at a police station and they did get charged and had to attend court, what we would do then is follow through that whole process with them, go to any legal appointments they have prior to court or during their court matter, and we'd sit in on those um, conferences and help the person through that process and make sure they understand everything. And then we will attend every court appearance that person has to go to as well and provide support. We would also assist with any referrals if that was required during that process as well. So that makes me think that some of the volunteers are involved with people's matters for a long time. Yes, they can be. Um, it's not uncommon for someone's matter to go for you know two years in the court process so which if it was a lengthy trial or um, depending what level of court we're supporting in but um, normally a minimum of six months we'd at least be with one person um, we do try and keep the same volunteer um, if um, if we know something's going to be particularly lengthy then we might include two people just so that um, if the one person wasn't available we have the other person We've had a client, uh, and which isn't uncommon for um, our clients to call triple O quite a lot. There could be, and we're talking maybe, you know, anywhere up to 100 calls because they want to talk to someone and, and they can get into quite a bit of trouble for obviously tying up that line. So we've had um, a client in the past where this was a problem. He was very isolated, uh, living on his own. Anyway, ended up... Um, coming into contact with us, the police had uh, got us involved with it. This person ended up in prison and had never been there before, so that was a very challenging, difficult time. But during this time, as it was going through court, we did a lot of work with him, um, linked him into services, started to wrap services around him, and ended up um, he identified that he was very lonely and isolated and there was nobody involved in his life to help him and through that we were able to go through the whole process the court process with him get him out of prison and link him in and with a disability service and moved into a group home where he's done really really well and the triple o calls have stopped and is accessing the community, doing some volunteer work. So it was just that reach out, 
wanting some help and unfortunately which landed him in the, the criminal justice system but yeah with that involvement referrals and everyone working together um, it, it actually was a good outcome for him in the end. Thanks so much for joining us today. If you enjoyed the episode and found it useful, please share it with your organisation, colleagues and communities. If you would like to access any of the information spoken about in the episode, please see the links in the show notes below. Until next time, thanks from all of us here at the CLE branch at Legal Aid New South Wales.